Luke chapter 14, we are starting to read at verse 16. It says, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper, and bade or invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, or those that were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, which nowadays we'd say I'd bought a couple of tractors, and I go to prove them or to try them out. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Men have been blaming their wives for a lot of things for a long time. Verse 21 says, So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as you've commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them or urge them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden or were invited, and it's in the original invitation, shall taste of my supper. I'm going to preach to you this morning for a little while from this thought, the last seat at the table. The last seat at the table. The host in our parable in Luke 14 is obviously a fairly wealthy man, a man of some substance. When you read Matthew chapter 22, there's a similar, par- similar parable that some consider to be the same story, or at least a very similar story. And in Matthew chapter 22, the host is referred to as a king. And the supper is the marriage of the king's son. Now let's just know, the scripture lets us know that he bade many, or that many were invited. It was invitation only. It wasn't just, you know, whoever wanted to come. But in its beginnings, it was a very specific guest list that was chosen possibly because of family connections, possibly because of their status in society. They were the more preferable members that were asked to come along to this feast, to this wedding gathering. A lot of preparations were made. Anybody that's been involved in a wedding, we we had one of those a couple of weeks ago, knows that there's a lot of work goes into a wedding. You don't just turn up on the day and everything just magically works out. Weddings take a lot of work, a lot of time, and a lot of preparation, and a lot of work had gone in to enjoy this special occasion. But one by one, the guests that were originally invited made excuses as to why they couldn't come. Uh, without getting off track, it's, the parable is symbolic of Israel as a nation rejecting Jesus. And, uh, and, but it also is a message for us of how the affairs of our own lives can make us too busy to hear the Word of God hear the voice of God and the excuses covered three basic categories of life the first one was possessions or a focus on material things the second was on work or career the oxen was part of industry it wasn't a pet cow it was it was it was for plowing and working the field and the third area was relationships and these are often the areas of our lives even today 2,000 years later that can still get in the way of hearing the voice of God 
and being in the will of God. And I have been around long enough to see that play out many times in different shapes and sizes. But if you, if you pay any attention to the news media at the moment, it seems that in the UK we are due soon to have another royal wedding. For those of you that are interested in the royal family, I suggest you need a new hobby, but that's up to you. Some people are interested in, the, in royalty, some aren't. But either way, there's a wedding coming. And a royal wedding is a big deal. Uh, when when a, a member of the royal family gets married, they don't do it in a drive-thru in Las Vegas. It's a big party. There's carriages and horses and all sorts of fancy outfits and people in top hats and tails and canes and white gloves and some of the royal family that may have been involved in military service will wear military dress uniform with the big gold shoulder pads and medals and swords and weird looking hats and it's it's a huge occasion and I don't even want to know what it costs the English taxpayers to pay for a royal wedding I'm glad I'm not paying for that bill but in the midst of all of that ceremony and every if you you know everybody who's special because you can be the cousin of the queen or the second cousin or you know the queen's doctor's nephew or if you're connected somehow, but I'm fairly confident this morning that none of you have received an invitation to the royal wedding. Anybody get an invitation to the wedding that's coming up? You must be connected somehow. That's okay. Most of us are not expecting an invitation in the mail to the royal wedding. We would be very surprised to get an invitation to the royal wedding because as far as the royals are concerned, we're not important enough to be at their wedding. Uh, we, I don't believe I've got any royalty in my family. If I'm wrong, I'd be happy to find out and see if they want to lend me some money. But we're not royalty, and so we're not expected to be invited to the royal wedding. Uh, much the way it was at the beginning of this man's plans when he sent out his original guest list. When the first lot of invitations were printed and they were sent out, the everyday man on the street wasn't invited but things changed things changed and his guests the who's who rejected the invitation and the king became angry and so very quickly he makes adjustments to the criteria of who is now eligible to attend this wedding feast people that would previously not have been considered are now not only being invited but they're being urged to come. The scripture says they were compelled to come. The servant was sent out. He wasn't just sent out and said, well, see if you can find anybody that maybe possibly might be interested. He was told to compel them to come, to urge them to say, please, you must come. You need to come. You're invited to a very, very special occasion. They were invited, they were urged to come quickly. And various groups of people I don't want to use the word classes, but there are groups of people that are listed here. There's the blind, there's the lame, there's the maimed, there's people that, people that were in that society the lowest of the low. Not necessarily because of who they were, but you have to understand, and there's a whole lot more men than there is ladies here today. As a man, if you were blind, you were unable to work. If you were unable to work, you were unable to support yourself. If you're unable to support yourself, the likelihood of getting married, having a family, having any kind of career, was just not on the table. 
You were dependent upon the charity of others, possibly the charity of your extended family. And so these, the Lord mentions these people in this parable. He specifically names different kinds of people that society would not acknowledge. And it's not because the Lord is wanting us to look at people in different ways. The Bible teaches against that. But what, the, what is the emphasis of the Lord's parable is that now the invitation and the guest list is to the whosoever will. You don't have to have a royal connection. You don't have to have a royal bloodline, but you can be blind, you can be lame, you can be crippled, you can be the person that nobody knows, you can be the person that nobody likes, and now suddenly you're invited to the marriage of the king's son. Amen. And they were, you know, they would have been they would have been shocked. Can you imagine there's a blind man sitting on the side of the road? rattling his cup and suddenly someone taps him on the shoulder and says hey you need to come to the the, the king's son's wedding the blind man would be like what what did you just say he'd be like well I, I, I don't have any money for a gift it doesn't matter come anyway I, I haven't got a nice suit come anyway I don't know what to say what to do what to wear come anyway is the message that comes from the king's servant it didn't matter. He just said, come. Well, I'm not sure I really belong with those people. Anybody ever remember walking into church for the first time and feeling like I don't belong with these people? These people are all too good for me because they all look, you know, like they've got it all together. You know, these people don't do anything wrong. That They're all perfect. But then after you come for a little while, you find out there's a backstory behind every person in the building and you find out I'm not so different from those people that I've just walked into church with. Amen. I mean, I, I, I don't really want an invitation to the royal wedding, to be honest. It'd be uncomfortable. It'd be awkward. You know, those people getting around, you know, no, okay, which fork am I supposed to use? Is this, is this the right spoon? You know, all the etiquette rules and, you, you know, you bow to this one, you curtsy. I wouldn't mean curtsying to anybody, but... You know, I'd be, it'd be awkward to be uncomfortable. I'd rather go to a barbecue with a bunch of good friends. I wouldn't want to go to that royal wedding. And some people feel like that the first time they come into the presence of the King of Kings. They're awkward. It's unfamiliar. They don't know what's going on, but the invitation still comes. Because the Bible lets us know in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 to 20, as Jesus was preparing himself for Calvary, it says that he took bread and gave thanks and he broke the bread and he gave it to them saying, this is my body. What he was saying was this bread is a symbol or a token of my body and he broke it. And he said, when you do this in the future, you remember me. And then he took the cup that was full of grape juice and he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. He wasn't handing them a literal cup full of blood. That would be creepy. But it was, again, it was a token. It was something that was symbolic of the blood that he was going to shed. And because he was willing to do that, that's what made it possible for you and I to be on the guest list. That's what made it possible for us to be invited. We couldn't be good enough. We couldn't be connected enough. We couldn't have enough royal lineage. But because of his sacrifice, suddenly the guest list is blown open. 
And anybody that wants to come can come. Amen. Amen. Those of you that are married know that when you're organizing a wedding, numbers matter at a wedding. You're paying for a wedding reception. You know you don't want to pay for any more people than you have to pay for. You know, you don't want to pay for 200 people if there's only 150 people there eating the meal. Numbers matter. How many people attend your wedding determines how much that it will cost. When I got married nearly a quarter of a century ago, which is a really long time, we had a reasonable-sized wedding because my wife's family are Italian. That explains enough. I don't have to go any further. But as you, you set a number on the guest list, and so you tell the place there are this many people are coming to the wedding. And so that's what they charge you for. But then you have people pull out at the last minute. We had some people pulled out, and so we had empty seats that we were paying for food for. So we thought, what are we going to do? Who are we going to invite? We, we found some people that weren't on the original guest list, which was kind of a little bit awkward because, you know, why didn't you invite us in the first place? But and we found some people that we knew. We said, hey, I, I think it was a matter of a couple of days. Would you like to come to a wedding on Saturday? We've paid for so many seats and... and some people have pulled out, they're interested in coming. And they looked at their, their calendar and they were free. So, so they came in the last minute. They were a bit like the people in our parable. They weren't on the original list. But at the last minute, we said, please come. We don't want to waste this money. We want, to, we want to, people to eat all the food we're paying for. Somebody was paying for it. I didn't pay for all of it. But we, we, it was the last minute. It wasn't on their plans. And often that's what happens in our life is that God is not on our plan. He's not on our radar. He's not in our five-year plan, our 10-year plan, or our 20-year plan. But He comes along and He says, I know you weren't thinking about me, but there's an invitation that I'm holding out. He's saying, if you want to come, I'm having this wedding. I'm having this feast. We're having a celebration. And if you want to come, you're invited. You say, well, uh, I don't have the clothes. I don't don't know how to behave. I won't know anybody that's there. And and we start to think all the reasons we can't. And he says, I'll cover all that stuff. You just come. Amen. You see, in Revelation chapter 19, from verses 7 to 9, it tells us that this is talking about what will happen at the end of time. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come now some of you know more bible than others but when we see that word lamb there it's talking about jesus because he was our sacrifice for us and it says and his wife has made herself ready now we're in a room full of guys but fellas if we're born again we're in the bride of christ so i hope that doesn't bother you too much the his wife is the church his wife is the church. And verse 8, it says, To her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So here's the church, and it was granted to her. That means she didn't organize it herself. But it was granted to her that she would be able to wear a wedding dress that was a symbol of righteousness and holiness and purity. And then in verse 9, it says, And he said unto me, Write, this is the angel talking to John, Write, Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We would say, Blessed are those that have had an invitation for the wedding. 
Blessed are those that got that invitation. You see, God, because He knows all things, He knows exactly how many seats are going to be at that wedding. He knows exactly how many people are going to be there because He's God and He's got a problem is that He can't not know. So He knows how many people are get there, but we don't know. Not only that, we don't know when the call will come because the invitations went out and then when everything was ready, the servant was told, go now and tell them it's time. You know, that's, that's a bit kind of inconvenient. Can you imagine if somebody said to you, I want you to come to my wedding? Oh, fantastic. When is it? I'll let you know. And then they called you at 10 o'clock Saturday morning and said, the wedding's in two hours. And you're like, all the ladies would panic. They've got to do their hair. Have they got the right pair of shoes? The men would be like, seriously, I was going to play golf. But it would be inconvenient. But these guests were obviously expected that when the time came and they were summoned to come. And there is the, the, we're told that story because it gives us an example or a pattern of the fact that you and I are invited to this wedding. Regardless of who we are or where we've come from, every one of us is invited. But the tricky part is we don't really know when it's happening. Now, if I said to you, hey, why don't you come to our house for dinner? You'd say, fantastic. When will it be? I don't know. He'd be like, how am I supposed to come to your house? But that's what the Lord expects of us, is that we will be ready when He comes back. That we will be waiting for Him, and that we will have everything that needs to be in order when He returns. Every bride, in my experience, every bride thinks that their wedding was the best. There's a little bias there, perhaps. But it's good they feel that way. It'd be a little bit sad if a bride said, my wedding was lousy, and you know, everybody else's wedding was better than mine. But this wedding, on that day, when the church is presented to Jesus, spotless, righteous, holy, and clean, knowing where she came from, knowing where she was. When I say she, I'm talking about us. Knowing where we were when he found us. Knowing where we were when he said, would you like to come? When he said, there's something going to happen, I'd like to invite you. Knowing where we came from, we are presented to him. It is granted to her that she should be arrayed or dressed in fine linen, clean and white, symbolic of that righteousness and that holiness. What a wedding that's going to be. What a day that's going to be. It's going to, I'm sorry, ladies, but all your weddings are going to look so insignificant compared to that wedding, to the wedding of Jesus and His church. Amen. And somehow, somehow at that wedding, every one of us, and I don't know how many there'll be, millions, billions, who knows, somehow every one of us that is there is going to be made to feel like we're sitting at the head table. You ever been to a big wedding, a really big wedding, and you're not close family? You're often seated way down the back by the door, and you need a set of binoculars to see the bride and groom. But somehow, and that day, every one of us is going to feel like we're sitting right next to Jesus. Somehow, He's going to make that possible. What a day that is going to be. But that time has not come yet. It could be at any moment we're living 
in the window of time referred to it. We read in Luke 14, but in verse 22 it says this. The servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. That's the time frame that we're in right now. We're in that time frame where the Lord is inviting, but there's still room. The Lord is sending out the invitations, but it's not full yet. There's still more people that are going to respond. That's the age that we live in. The guest list is still being completed. It's still being finalized because the invitations are still going out. Amen. In in the scripture, in the the book of Revelation, there's a a book that that is referred to there that's called the Lamb's Book of Life. It's the book where the names of those are recorded that have responded to that invitation. That have said, I would like to be there. And they've been born again, as the Bible teaches that we have to. It's, that book is, in a lot of ways, it's like the guest list for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's constantly being adjusted. It's con- anytime somebody responds to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's a new name that gets written in that book. And when I was a kid, we used to sing an old song, Brother Gavin will remember it, that said, there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. The old song that we used to sing that said that. That's the guest list that's constantly being adjusted. I don't know who's in charge of setting the tables. Maybe every time a name goes in that book, the Lord says to Gabriel, another plate, Gabriel, another knife and fork, another glass, good thing is it won't matter what sort of cut you, you won't get in trouble for using the wrong spoon or the wrong fork when we're at the wedding supper of the lamb but it's constantly being adjusted anytime somebody says lord i believe in you lord i obey what your word says i'll do what your word says there's a name gets written in a book and a place gets set at a table with your name on it with a name tag you know when you get to a wedding what do you have to do at a reception you got to find where you're supposed to sit Sometimes there's a big old board and all the tables are there and this family's here and that family's there. You know, it's one of the hardest things to do at a big wedding is try to separate the family members that don't get on. You, know, you don't want this auntie sitting at the same table as that auntie because the last time they got, you know, they got into a fight or, or these kids, you know, weren't sitting with those kids. Cause, and you know, it's like planning a war or trying to avoid a war maybe. It won't be like that thank the Lord when we get to heaven. There won't be anybody we have to worry about. When we get to heaven, you won't be thinking, I hope I'm not sitting next to that person. But we'll all be there together in the presence of the Lord. What an awesome day that's going to be. So what is the most important question? How do I get my name in the book? How do I get my name in the book? How do I get that little bit of card on that table? that says Simon David Butcher. I don't know if there's another person with all three of those names. If there is, maybe it's got my date of birth on it. My, probably not my tax file number, hopefully. But there'll be some way that that card will be only addressed to me. That, that There won't be two of us show up to that. Uh, that's, no, no, that, no, that's my name. It won't work like that. Somehow we'll know that's where I am supposed to be. I've been invited. That spot is reserved for me. How, if we're all invited, we read, we read that the king said, go out. He said, get the blind, get the lame, get the crippled. And then he came back and he said, go out again. The highways, the hedges, find any warm and breathing person you can find and invite them. So we're all invited. But how do we RSVP? 
How do we get back and say, Lord, I think I might come? Getting an invitation is great, but if you do an RSVP, they're not planning on you being there. They're the worst kind of people, the people that just show up when they didn't RSVP. And you've got to smile and say, that's so good to see you. Did they RSVP? No, they didn't. And you've got to try to work out who's going to pay for their food and all the headaches that come with that. None of that's going to happen. There's going to be none of that in heaven. It's all going to be understood who's coming. Matthew chapter 22, if you have your Bibles, we're going to have a look and try to answer this question. talking about the last seat at the table this is a parallel story to the one we read in Luke but in Matthew 22 and verse 8 it says then saith he to his servants the wedding is ready but they which were bidden or invited were not worthy go ye therefore into the highways and as many as you shall find bid to the marriage you see it's the same more or less the same kind of story so those servants went out into the highways and gathered together as many as they found both bad and good i'm glad the bad people got to come because that was me i'm glad that it wasn't just the good people that were invited otherwise that might have left a lot of us out you good folks you'd have been invited but those of us that are in the bad column we'd have missed out but it says invite the bad and the good and the wedding was furnished with guests and when the king came in to see the guests he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment wasn't wearing the right outfit and he said unto him friend how'd you come to be in here without having a wedding garment on and it said he was speechless he had no answer didn't have an excuse and then said the king to the servants bind him hand and foot or tie him up take him away cast him outside in the darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth and he said for many are called but few are chosen so this guy was not allowed in the wedding because what he was wearing was not acceptable now we we talked about what would happen to the blind man if he was invited he wouldn't have had a wedding garment he wouldn't have, you know the blind man couldn't be led back to his parents house and go down to his room and find the closet and he had his tucks hanging there from the dry cleaners and a nice plastic sleeve he didn't have it so how does this all work it doesn't seem to come together but in isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 this is this is a, a a very strong statement that reflects the sinful condition of all humanity this is what it says it says but we are all everybody say all so that includes me that includes me we're all as an unclean thing oh thank you very much but we are all as an unclean thing and our righteousness or our ability to do what is right by ourselves to make ourselves good enough is what it says filthy rags and we all fade like a leaf And our iniquities or our wickedness, the sins that we've done, the way we've broken the Word of God, disobeyed the Word of God, like the wind have taken us away. That doesn't speak very highly of our spiritual condition. It tells us that when we try to do it on our own, we're unclean, you know, filthy rags. How many of you, when you've been invited to a wedding, have said, what are you going to wear today, dear? I think I'll pull out that filthy rag. No, you don't do that. You try to pull out the best thing you've got in the wardrobe. But our righteousness 
is as filthy rags. So what that means is that we are like this guy at the wedding. Our best suit or our best dress is like filthy rags. You see, the picture that's being painted for us here is not about whether or not you're wearing Armani or whatever designer is your choice. That's not what it's about. It's talking about the condition of our hearts. You can be the sharpest looking person in town and be filled with filthy rags in your heart. And that's what it's talking about. It's talking about the condition of our hearts. It's telling us that sin or our iniquities makes our hearts like filthy rags. That's what it's saying. Filthy rags. A filthy rag is not even good enough to clean your car with because it's dirty already. It's not just a rag. It's filthy. It's of no value whatsoever. And that's what sin does to our hearts. But here's where it gets interesting because when you read that parable and they're they're told to go out and bring in the bad and the good and then the king comes in and says, Hey, you, why aren't you wearing the wedding garment? Get him out of here. It It seems like... Well, didn't you just tell everybody to come as they were? You invited everybody to come in, and now this guy's come in like you invited him to, and you're throwing him out. How is that fair? How does that make sense? You see, what we need to understand is that, and this is a very powerful thing, is that the culture of that part of the world, and in that day, and possibly still in some places today, was that the person who hosted the wedding, in this story, the king, was responsible to provide the wedding garment for the guests. So it wasn't like you had to go to the dry cleaners and get your best suit. But if he invited you, it was his job to give you a wedding garment. So that's why when he came to this man and he said, friend, why aren't you wearing the wedding garment? And the man had no excuse because the king had provided something for him to wear. But he had rejected what the king had provided and that got him thrown out of the wedding. So it's not because he couldn't afford the right garment or because he didn't have time to go to the shop or because he was you know, working his way through some problems. It was because the king said, I'm giving you what you need so that you can be accepted in the wedding. And not only that, everybody looks the same. Everybody in the wedding looks the same. And what that does is it takes the attention of the guests and it puts them on the bride and the bridegroom. And so the king makes provision. So in the same book in Isaiah, but in the first chapter, chapter, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, this is what it says. It says, come now and let us reason together. Basically what that means is come and let's examine your condition. Let's, let's, put you through the processes and see where you're at, says the Lord. And he said, though your sins be as scarlet, not, you know, a subtle, you see, white is representing purity. So bright red is a really powerful contrast. And when you look into the original languages, it's talking about something that's been double dipped in that red dye. It's not once, but they're making sure it's really, really red. Anyway, some of you know I worked in food for about 20 years and as a pastry chef you use different food colorings sometimes and there was always one there's a, there's a color you can get if you're trying to make something red there's a, a, a food coloring called pillar box red or like post box red you get that stuff on your hands 
your hands are red for days and days and days. There's no way to get that off. That's what sin was like. It's bright. It's red. It's impossible to hide. And so the Lord says, when we examine you, come now, let us reason together. When we examine you, even though your sins are bright and you're stained and you can't hide them, they shall be white as snow. And even though they're red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And so the king who invites you to the wedding knows that all you've got to wear is filthy rags, says, if you want to come in, I'll give you something that will cover that sin that is white and pure like snow. And the king said, I've invited you, which means I'm going to give you everything that you need to be suitable for the wedding. All right, let's, let's try to land this plane. John chapter 3. Everybody still awake? Great. John chapter 3. If you know this chapter of the scripture at all, you'll know that Jesus is in a meeting with a man. He's a very prominent man in society. He was curious to talk to Jesus because Jesus was like nobody else they'd ever seen before. But he met with Jesus at night because he was worried about his reputation. So he's kind of, he wanted to know about Jesus but didn't want everybody else to know. I've known a lot of people like that. They want to know about Jesus, but they don't want anybody else to know about it. At some point, that's going to come to a a collision. But anyway, so this man meets with Jesus, and he he starts out like a lot of people do with a bit of flattery. He said, we know you've come from God, because no man can do the things you do. And Jesus, as is often his way, he just cut through all the the political correctness and the social niceties. And he said to him in verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, and if you've got a King James, which is probably on the wall, it says, verily, verily, which just means truly, truly. I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is a little confused, and he says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? The answer is obviously not. And in verse 5, Jesus again says, truly, truly, there's an emphasis there, that this is fact, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus told Nicodemus that if you want to come in, you must. He didn't say it's preferable. He didn't say it'll save you some time instead of going the long way around. He said if you want to come into the kingdom of God, you must be born again now Nicodemus you see we we hear the expression born again and a lot of people have been throwing that around in different ways it's not so strange to us but Nicodemus had never heard this before and so when Jesus said that to him he somewhat understandably went back to thinking about when he was born as a baby and thinking how can that happen again and so Jesus broke it down a little bit for him and says that this being born again that I'm talking about includes water and spirit it wasn't two births but what he was telling Nicodemus was that water and spirit are involved in that being born again they're involved in that process of being born again so to try to put this together with where we've wandered around from so far there is a wedding 
in heaven. We don't know when, but we know that we're all invited. Every single one of us is invited. No matter who you are, male, female, old, young, rich, poor, whatever background you have, whether you're highly educated, whether you're from one culture or another culture, there, there is nothing that you can claim prohibits you from the invitation. And that's awesome. That's because the world is not like that. The world is not like that. But we know that we are all invited, regardless who we are, what we've done. We all know that just as all of us are invited, all of us have filthy rags. Again, nobody skips that part either. So you get the good part and the bad part. All of us have filthy rags. Okay? So our sins, our filthy rags, we desperately need help to become clean, to become washed, and to wear that new garment because we cannot do that ourselves. What did Isaiah say? Our righteousness, or in other words, my efforts, your efforts to make myself acceptable to God are as filthy rags. Now that's not very politically correct in a world where you get an award for just showing up. Nowadays they give trophies out for participation. It doesn't matter how hard you try here. Your righteousness and my righteousness is as filthy rags. We can't do it ourselves. Then Jesus said that if we want to come in, this is not a different conversation, this is a part of the same thing. If we want to come in, we must be born again. And that this being born again includes water and spirit. So now if we put the parables about the weddings, the king's the wedding and, and what Jesus said to Nicodemus together... What that means is that when we are born again, or when we start a new life, that's what being born again means, it's talking what it's talking about is that when that happens, that that being born again, our old filthy rags are replaced with that new garment. And we are able to enter into the kingdom of God, or in the parable, the wedding supper of the king's son. So how then are we born again? If that's what it takes to go from filthy rags to fine linen, from being tossed out to being welcome at the feast, from being invited regardless of who we are to being acceptable in His sight, how is it that we are born again? How do we get to that place where we're able to be welcome? And what is it talking about when Jesus said, unless you're born of water and of spirit? Acts chapter 2. And we'll start to read at verse 36. But again, for a little bit of background, the second chapter of the book of Acts, as some of you will know, was when God first filled people with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. It was in the book of Acts, the second chapter. And they were filled with the Spirit and they spoke in other tongues just as people have been doing here today. And I, I know from just from observing that many of our guests are filled with the Holy Ghost, and that's wonderful to see. Awesome. Amen. So in Acts chapter 2, after that has happened, Peter is explaining to the crowd that gathered around what had taken place. And in verse 36, as he comes to the end of what he's saying, he says, Therefore, he said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly, or without doubt, that God has made that same Jesus whom you crucified, 
both Lord and Christ. Now, did those people that were there physically crucify Jesus? No, they didn't. The Roman soldiers crucified Jesus. So what is he talking about when he says, you crucified Jesus? If he was standing here today, he'd be pointing at me, and he'd be pointing at you. Because our sins is what put him on the cross. Our filthy rags put him on the cross. And so Peter says, sorry to be a bit brutal, he said, but you guys are responsible for his... You are the reason that he died. And we know he willingly laid down his life. It wasn't against his will, but it was because of our filthy rags that he said that Jesus was crucified. And then in verse 37, it says, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Their conscience it just hit them. Like somebody just smacked them right in the chest. It was like, oh, what I did, my rags, my sin, put him on the cross. When they heard that, they said to Peter and the others, men and brethren, what shall we do? What, what, how, do what, how do we address this? How do we fix this? How do we respond? Were you just telling us that to make us feel terrible? Or is there some hope here? And in verse 38, Peter says to them, repent. Or simply we would say, acknowledge you're a sinner. Say, yep, I'm a sinner. I've done this, 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 and this, and this. And we would say, do a U-turn. Turn around and begin to walk away from those things and begin to walk towards Jesus Christ. But it didn't stop there. He said, repent and be baptized. Baptized. This is where the water fits in. Jesus said, if you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, what? Jesus said, unless you're born again of water and of spirit. Here's the water, Nicodemus. Be baptized, which means to be immersed, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Not in any other name. But in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will not find any other baptism happen in the Scripture other than in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission, it's another old word that we would possibly say forgiveness, for the washing away, the remitting, the forgiveness of our sins. See, we go from being filthy to being washed. There's the water. And... You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, more modern translations call it the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't really matter. Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. There is your water, and there is your spirit. And so he said, here's your invitation. Let's pretend that's a fancy, expensive printed invitation for a wedding. He said, you're invited. Everybody is invited. He said, but if you want to come in, he said, there are some things I've provided. He said, you don't have to pay the price for them. I'll pay for them. I pay for them. I gave my life. He said, but if you want to see it, if you want to enter in, you must be born again of water, baptized in the name of Jesus, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which on that day when he said those words, was evidenced by speaking in other tongues. Some people get all hung up on speaking in other tongues. Speaking in other tongues is the evidence that God has filled you with the Holy Ghost. It is a demonstration that you have surrendered yourself to the Lord 
including your tongue, which, if we're honest, is the hardest part to surrender in our bodies because we're always doing this with it. It is a demonstration of the ultimate surrender of a person to Jesus Christ. And so when we are born again of water and spirit, it starts with repentance. Let's use the platform here. I'm over here, and somebody says to me, you crucified the Lord. And you're thinking, that was 2,000 years ago. I wasn't even there. But we begin to understand that my filthy rags put him on the cross. But then somebody says, but despite that, because he loves you so much, he's extending an invitation. He said, there's a wedding feast. There's a place that I'm preparing. There's a place where there's no sin. There's no suffering. There's no brokenness. There's no heartache. There's no pain. There's no sorrow. There's no sickness. And he said, I would like you to join me there. And we said, but what do we have to... He says, I've done... He said, all you need to do is obey the gospel. Well, how do I do that? I said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Repentance. God, I've, if, you know, we can confess. Most of us have done enough stuff, you couldn't possibly remember it all. But we can say, Lord, I know I've been a liar and a cheat and whatever else you can fill in your own list. And I acknowledge that, Lord. I'm guilty. But I don't want to live... I'm sorry for that. I want to put that stuff behind me and turn around and start walking toward you that's that's a response to an invitation but as as we're walking you see when you repent there is the power of god is there because at repentance god can break shackles in your life but you've got to keep going you've got to keep because what happens is we say that life that's dead and then we come over to here where he says you got to be born of water You'd be baptized in the name of Jesus. And the Bible says we are buried with him when we're baptized in Jesus' name. And we are resurrected to newness of life when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's not three births. That's what happens when you're born again. You die, you're buried, you're resurrected with Christ. There's water and there's spirit. And everybody's invited, and only he knows who will be the last seat at the table. I want you to stand with me, if you would, this morning as our musicians come.